Welcome to Harp Song, presented by Moon Over the Trees Music and Theater Productions, bringing people together through collaboration, creativity, and community all through the arts. Thank you for joining us this week. I'm your host, Maureen Buscarino, and I hope to inspire you and to help you discover amazing music and artists from around the world. today is harpist Eileen Gannon. I first met Eileen at the University of Limerick's Irish World Academy of Music and Dance. We were both studying for our master's in ethnomusicology, and I really want to thank Eileen for encouraging me on my harp journey. Eileen grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, where her parents, Helen and PJ Gannon, who are from Ireland, wanted to make sure their children learned how to play and dance in the Irish tradition. St. Louis Irish Arts was created with the motto, From Generation to Generation. Established in the 1970s, it has become a center of learning Irish music and dance, attracting some of the finest Irish traditional musicians in the world to teach. Eileen and her family are passionate about teaching Irish music and dance to the next generation. Eileen is the head of music education at SLIA and is a well-respected harpist in the tradition. Make sure to pick up a copy of Eileen's newest solo album from 2017, The Glory Days Are Over. In this episode, we're going to discuss Eileen's newest album with fiddler Robert Ryan. It's called Down the Rocky Road. This album primarily draws inspiration from the Petrie's Complete Irish Music, a publication featuring over 1,500 tunes collected in Ireland between 1850 and 1860, and from the music of Sleeve Lucra region in Ireland. On this album, Eileen wanted to let the harp sing. She, she would find the harp resonating with the tunes, making the overtones and harmonics of the harp really shine. Right now, we are listening to the opening set of tunes from the album, Down the Rocky Road, The Good Fellows, Bristy Brendan, and the cauliflower jig. Enjoy my chat with Eileen Gannon. Eileen, thank you so much for being here with me today. You really helped me down my harp journey, so I really need to thank you like immensely for everything that you've like brought into my life. So thanks for being here. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Oh, excited yeah. to talk to you. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, so I, I mean, Honestly, I wouldn't, I really wouldn't be here if I hadn't bumped into you, bumped into you, been studying with you at the University of Limerick's, the Irish World Academy of Music and Dance. When you were there, you were studying for your master's in ethnomusicology, um, just like I was. So, but you had just won the All-Ireland Harp Championship, I guess the year that we started there. Music is such a huge part of your life and your family i was wondering if you could paint the scene of the of how you got into irish music and the harp uh well so my parents are both from ireland they're from limerick city and dunmore county galway and they moved here in the 60s 
and not with the intention of staying here. They were just going to come for a year and then go back to Ireland. But then my dad got a job he couldn't refuse. And so they were here. And my mom started worrying that we were going to lose our connection with Irish culture. Mm. So she said, all right, the kids are playing Irish music. And that's, that's the end of it. <laughs> and she just sort of found people to teach us anywhere we anywhere she could find them, sent us to Suzuki violin lessons because it was learning by ear, and she figured that would be a good mm. uh, substitute until we could get actual Irish music lessons. Uh, so, yeah, we all played. We all played fiddle. And then when I was seven, my mom decided that she wanted to have a harp in the living room, <laughs> and she said, you're going to play the harp. I said, okie doke. <laughs> <laughs> and we went to the harp teacher, and she said, do you play any other music? And I said, yeah, I play the violin. And she's like, okay, well, you're going to stop doing that. <laughs> and I said, okay. Cause I, I had no love for the violin. I didn't think I sounded good. Wasn't that into it. And she didn't want to compete for my practice time, uh, yeah. which I think in hindsight, she was absolutely right about at least with the seven-year-old anyway, mm, right. how much attention can a seven-year-old really have? Eat. <laughs> um, so then I just go full, head on into harp world and I was taking at times two lessons a week with her and then every summer there would be Irish people coming in to play at McGurk's which is our local Irish pub that used to have music seven nights a week uh wow. so my mom would get those people to come in and teach my brothers and I and our uh music school that my parents set up in the 70s they set up St. Louis Irish Arts wow and we've been going strong every Ever since teaching everyone who wants to learn Irish music in St. Louis. And I love that you have dancers too, but you make sure or you try to make you make sure that they don't dance to pre recorded music. So they're dancing with like the live musicians, uh, which is amazing that you're passing that on to the to those dancers. Uh, yeah, most of our students uh, do both music and dance. That's sort of the way our program works. You just learn everything. Mm. And most of the time, the boys end up dropping out of the dancing. By the time they're about 12 or so, mm. even my nephews, <laughs> much to my mom's chagrin, <laughs> but then they can still stick around and play the music for the dancers. And everyone has a better understanding of the music and the dance after learning how to do both. Right. Even oh. if they don't continue to do both. That makes total sense. That absolutely, that whole kinesthetic, you know, feel for the music and really like internalizing it. That's so important. Definitely. Um Exactly. Yeah. So you run the music program at the St. Louis Irish Arts Center? That's correct. Yes. My brother used to be the director and then he had a family and a career and I took over. Right. So what's what's involved with the curriculum with, um, let's say, a new student comes in, they're like, I want to learn, let's say, I want to learn the harp. So where do they where do they start? When a new student comes to St. Louis Irish Arts, if, if they're very young, we usually start them off in our summer camp program where they get sort of a full immersion every day of the week. And that seems to work out really well. And then they get exposed to all the instruments, start kind of thinking about what they might, might like to play, but everyone starts off the tin whistle. Mm. And we usually require that they can memorize four tunes on the tin whistle before we let them pick another instrument. Wow. So it's four simple tunes. Okay. And, and it's all taught by, um, by ear. All taught by ear. Yep. 
And then in my private harp lessons, I try to do a little bit of note reading with my harp students, just because I think it's important for them to be able to do that after they leave me. Mm. If they need to be able to teach themselves tunes, I'd hate to not have them have that skill. Oh, yeah. It's definitely good to have both, to be able to learn by ear and to be able to read music. Absolutely. And then you've got the summer um, program. So like when does when does that start this year? We do. We have summer camp starting on June fourteenth, and this year it's actually in person, which all the kids are very excited about. Oh, um, awesome! Now we are a little bit sorry not to be able to do a hybrid because last year we had kids from all over South America as well. Wow, which was really cute, and our kids loved meeting them. Yeah, a whole bunch of Argentinians and Colombians and. Wow. Ecuador. I, I had no idea there were so many people playing Irish music in South America, but it's great. That's incredible. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's wonderful. I, I love the broad reach that Zoom has offered. Yeah. And it is amazing that there's something about Irish music that just people love. You know, uh, when I was talking to Sunita Stanislaw in, in Israel, she was saying when she plays in hospitals, the music that everyone really loves and they gravitate to is the Irish music. So there's just something about something about it that it, it has this like wide appeal around the world. Well, that's good to hear. I, I don't know what it is about it that has such a broad allure, but it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I think it's probably just that it makes you want to dance. <laughs> probably. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you also have a BA in music performance and you studied the pedal harp. I did. Uh, it was very, very good for me because I had never really pushed myself as hard in the classical uh, genre as I had with the Irish music, but I had no choice but to push myself when mm. I was doing my BA. And it was wonderful because I, I, had, I got the opportunity to study with the same teacher I'd always learned with because mm. I went to university in St. Louis. Mm. Um, and she was so wonderful, and she was kind of nearing the end of her life, and it was great to be able to spend those extra four years with her and learning everything I could from her. Wow. Was it um, – oh, but she was your teacher from the beginning, so it wasn't difficult to go from the lever harp to a pedal harp or because she's been, she was with you from the beginning. But the repertoire changed, I'm guessing. She was with me from the beginning. Uh, the repertoire changed drastically. Mm. Now, she, she never was that interested in hearing my Irish music or helping me. She said, I don't know anything about that. It's fine if you want to play Irish music. I'll teach you how to play what I teach. Mm. How do you feel that that experience helped your technique? Did you know, enhance it or change how you play traditional music? I definitely think it enhanced it. It definitely made it different than a lot of other people's technique, I think, because we would spend at least a half hour just doing technique hmm. work in every single lesson. Wow. Um, so it was very, very much uh, drilled into me, and she didn't take it halfway hmm. as acceptable. It was, we just had to keep doing it until I got it right. So I can't I can't subtract that from my Irish playing, even though that's not really a necessity to play Irish music. Hmm. It has just sort of fused in. Right. Um, I feel like all that technique work has probably contributed to what people have told me is a, a very strong tone, hmm. at least in my melody hand. Right, right. So I am thankful to have been given that. 
And then in your left hand, do you, you play with like an open hand when you're playing Irish music to get all the damping in? Or do you switch back and forth between like a more classical technique? It would depend on the type of tune that I'm playing. So slow airs and O'Carolan things and, you know, just little melodies. I would definitely probably just use my classical technique for those. Mm. But then when I'm playing jigs and reels, I do the open hand damping. Gotcha. Well, you you need to damp more when you're playing music that quickly. Oh, sure. Yeah, because otherwise the bass will get all muddy. Exactly. So and when you're approaching accompanying, you are just so masterful with how you blend in and really listen to the tunes. So do you have any advice for people, either um, like harpists who want to play in a session or who want to accompaniment, you know, or fiddle, or any other instrument, or concertina, how they can approach their accompanying. Yes. Well, actually, during the pandemic, I've sort of streamlined my thoughts on this subject. Hmm. Uh, so I used to, when I was accompanying for years and years, I was just trying to come up with a cool bass line okay. to go with the tune. But lately, I've kind of stopped focusing on trying to come up with the coolest chord progression I can find. And instead, I'm just picking out what I call the tune within the tune. Mm. Uh, and I let the melody sort of pop out the, what I feel are the strong notes. Now, everyone would probably pick out a different set of notes to highlight, but I'll pick out the notes that I think need mm. to be highlighted in a tune. And then I build the chords down from that. So I try to keep the melody note on the top of my accompaniment mm. and then build whatever chord down from that. And sort of trying to keep in mind the double stops that a fiddle would be playing or the regulators that a pipes would be playing mm. or the notes, the extra buttons a concertina would be playing and maybe not thinking too far outside of the box and just sort of keeping the chords a little more simple mm. and then just focusing on the rhythm first and foremost, rather than trying to, you know, come up with diminished chords or anything too exotic right wow and it's people seem to like it so i guess i'll keep going like that <laughs> yeah i mean i guess a lot of harpists when they started maybe they're listening to a lot of those old piano recordings um with like you know that kind of boom chuck kind of you know, you know what i'm talking about right, right? um so it's it, absolutely I, it's more interesting like what you're talking about it you know, you're really listening to the tune. Yes. And another, another reason that I sort of ended up taking this path is because uh, when you're playing in sessions, you're very rarely the only accompaniment instrument because guitar players are, mm. you know, they're everywhere and there, <laughs> there's so many good ones. And just because you're, you're not going to walk in and say you're a harp princess and just let me do my thing uh you'd have to cooperate right <laughs> so i figured I, I got so i got so tired of playing chords that clashed with the guitar players chords mm, right that's why i decided to start trying to do this if you just play the same note that is in the melody you can't be playing a wrong note true and so you're just highlighting that note and whatever chord the guitar player wants to play over it that'll be fine as well mm. Because you're not going to be doing anything that clashes, right? Right. Um, and the, I mean, the nice thing about the lever harp is, you know, when you're in a key, you're in a key. Like it's, you know, what I mean, like the whole harp is in that key, unless you 
you know, or doing a fancy tuning or whatever. But um, so the odds of you hitting the right note are a little bit better <laughs> than on like a piano or something, you know. Um, Greatly increased, yes. <laughs> but and then you do more of like um, like open, like fifths, tenths, um, octaves, like open intervals with your. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I would almost, I, I do play the third of the chord fairly often, but I would leave it out quite a bit as well. Mm. The more open, the more likely you are to just blend in. Right, right. So speaking of sessions, can we talk a little bit about session etiquette for people who may not know? <laughs> so I don't know if uh, you don't just walk yes. into a session and Say, hey, I'm here. I'm um, no. Well, so if we're talking the bare basics of session etiquette, mm. if you're not with your own friends, if you're not with people that you know, typically you would just kind of make your presence known and they'll know right away because your harp is enormous. <laughs> uh, and you kind of just sit around and wait to be asked to play. Mm. Uh, that's the That's been the rule is my whole life anyway. Mm. Uh Usually you might know somebody there, otherwise you wouldn't have shown up and they'll be the ones to ask you to join in. And then once you do start playing, uh, not to go too wild at first so that you can kind of ease them into the idea of having a harp in the session because not everyone is used to that. Uh, they don't know what to make of it. They don't know what's going to happen to their session sometimes when they see a harp walk in. Right. Uh, so if you can just take a less is more approach mm. And if, if you're getting a good response, then you can start laying it on a little more thick. I would say the best thing to do, especially if you're accompanying, which you're going to be doing a lot of if they're playing high-speed jigs and reels, mm. unless you just have a massive repertoire and arms of steel, <laughs> uh, just sort of try to contribute rather than, rather than take over. Mm. You want to just you know, add little sprinkles as I call them. Uh, and just realize the whole, it's not all about you. You're not setting the rhythm. The melody players are setting the rhythm. So anything you do should just be sort of on top of that. You're not driving anything unless you, unless it's your set of tunes that you've started, then hopefully everyone will cooperate with you. Oh, and another uh, policy I have is that I don't really think anyone should be playing along with a tune that they have never heard before. Mm. So a lot of people think, you know, I'm here, I'm going to play. And that's probably not the best approach because if you've never heard the tune before, not all tunes are that predictable. Mm. So you're probably going to detract from the tune if you haven't heard it before. So always listen to the tune at least one time through Two, if it's if it sounds like it's pretty weird, mm -hmm. and then you'll have had the opportunity to hear anything weird in the tune, and kind of make a mental note of that. And then when you do join in, make sure you don't miss that weird chord or note. I, I've had a few sessions with rogue uh, Bauron players who just aren't listening at all, and they you know even keep playing after the tune is done, and you're like, oh god, <laughs> please listen. Oh, so, but, um, but yeah, so yeah, don't, don't be that guy don't be <laughs> or gal, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so how, how do you, um, kind of dispel or help to dispel this whole myth of the angel vision of, 
you know, a, a woman with a harp and kind of a thing? Uh, I think one way I did that was, well, I'm certainly not, no one has ever said I was a meek harp player. Mm. I'm, I play quite loud. Even, even when I'm trying to play soft, it's still kind of loud. I mean, part of that is to do with my Fisher harp. When Larry sent me the harp, he said, it's a real cannon. <laughs> and I said, all right, well, it's going to be even more of a cannon when I get my hands on it. Because before I got that harp, I was playing an Ayoyama mm. and they require a lot of, uh, a lot of work to get any tone out of them at all. Mm. So I was, I, I was really pulling, pulling those strings for dear life for many, many years. And then when I got the Fisher, it doesn't take nearly as much effort, but my technique was already sort of set in stone. Mm. So that's where all the volume comes from. Oh, right. And that definitely takes away from the angel. <laughs> vibe. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, I... and then I think being extremely rhythmic is the other thing. And if it's a rhythm that fits with the tune and that the melody players seem to be grooving on, mm. then that means you're on the right path and you keep going that way. Nice. Yeah. People seem to like it. I, I think people like they get surprised when they, when they hear like the, the dance tunes on the harp, I think just a people ha don't see harps that often. And then B they don't realize that, you know, you can mm -hmm. do those kind of rhythmic things with it. And they're just, amazed at that I think you know yeah I think it's it's amazing how relatively new the whole concept of harps and sessions is because I mean no one's playing dance music on the harp until the 70s anyway mm. uh and those ladies I'm sure were going to sessions and their their particular crew understood but anyone who didn't have harps which was most other people it's it's still sort of a four in concept for them even though gosh in Ireland I don't even know how many people are playing there's so many amazing children playing very impressive dance tunes on the harp mm. they're they're everywhere there's probably a thousand I would guess Gronyuki give mm. us a better number on this oh sure um, but it's it's surprising how it's still an anomaly when there are so many mm. I suppose there's not that many in the states. Yeah, I think it's just I think it's really growing more and more. Um, you know, and, and I think especially now that people are getting used to being on Zoom, you can have a lesson with anybody from around the world that you you know that you'd admire. That in the past people would be like, I, I you know, not as comfortable with it. You, you know, and and then smaller, more affordable harps. You know, people are kind of getting into that, like the therapeutic harps that are smaller and you know, as a, to start, or maybe that's where people land. It seems to be gaining more and more interest. So. Yeah. There are so many, so many places you can land. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, it's wonderful. We're building a harp for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, like the, the, um, I've got my own little, uh, squad of Oh, oh, you have your harp army squadron. So, <laughs> well, you've got your pedal harp, your uh, Larry yeah, Fisher. I've got a Kemper. I have a bunch of harps, like most people do, but I mean an army of harp players. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we can take over. How many? Um, <laughs> how many students do you you have? Either in the in the um, the center or on your own or both? 
at any given time, I have about 25 private students. Awesome. Um, but then I see I have one-off lessons with all sorts of people around the country who just want to check in with me. They might have an accompaniment question and we just have one lesson. But I, I'm trying to gather everyone together so that they can feel not so alone. Mm. Because that that's another thing about the harp is it's so often considered a solo instrument. And if you are full of confidence, it's great to play by yourself. But it's not that fun to do it all the time. What's really fun in Irish music, I think, is playing with other people. Mm, definitely. Uh, so I am trying to facilitate that for people to, whether it's a harp player playing with another harp player mm-hmm. or teach them how to play with other instruments. That's my goal. Oh, neat. So like your uh, Kelly bands, like are you, do you have harps in, in those or, or um, not traditionally, right? No, no, but I actually have uh, not traditionally and not for competition purposes, which is kind of the only reason we do put together Kaylee bands is just for goals. Mm. Uh, but I have taught harp players how to play the piano so that they could be in the Kaylee band. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I'm... teach them the accompaniment on harp first and then move over. Nice. Yeah, I started on piano. So I think for me, going from piano to harp was a little easier of a transition than maybe someone who went from like guitar to the harp. Maybe. I don't know. Definitely. Just... Well, the piano is the best instrument to transition from for anything, I think. Yeah. Especially because you get used to both, cle- like reading both clefs and anything. Yeah. Independence of rhythm and and all too. So anytime I've had a student start with me who'd already had a year of piano, it's been just smooth sailing Mm. right from the outset, just because of that wonderful foundation that the piano gives you. Yeah, definitely. I think it just kind of teaches your brain how to categorize things. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot to, to pay attention to like from classical piano, you have to sit a certain way. You have to you know, even before you touch the instrument, there's like a, a like a list of things that you have to do: posture, hands. Then you're reading music, and you're you know you maybe have the metronome going. Or but I found going from that to to Irish harp, um, this kind of relaxing. It was very relaxing for me, and then learning by ear. It was just, it was a total you know a different part of my brain working, and I just found it really refreshing kind of freeing in a way learning things by ear and kind of making it my own I mean I'm sure you teach your students how to pick out accompaniments on their own I do um that's interesting to hear you say that you found the harp more relaxing because that that's the one thing that piano players have told me when they switch to the harp because you're not landing on anything instead you're just coming out into thin air Hmm. they find that a little off-putting but as the security of just landing on something stable is gone. Hmm. Interesting. But I guess in, in, in the harp, you have to, you have to have that stability before you play the notes. And then after you play them, you just have to hope for the best. (laughs) Try not to hit other notes that you didn't mean to. (laughs) Exactly. So you are working on the harp ensemble that you want to do in the coming years or this, like this year or. Well, yes. I I mean, 
I haven't been doing that for the past year and a half because we haven't been able to get together. But right, uh, right. yeah, I do usually have a harp ensemble or 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 several. Sometimes I'll have a separate adult one mm. and then one for the teenagers. So the teenagers, you know, they're going to be more interested in playing the dance tunes. And then we might we might throw in a pop song. I have to dig deep to figure out what's even popular <laughs> these days that they're going to resonate with. Right. We usually are able to come to some sort of agreement because I don't always agree with the quality of their choices. <laughs> <laughs> I totally, I get it. I totally get it. Because <laughs> I'm like, you guys have to pick something that has an actual melody line. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> or it's not going to work. So what what are some of the tunes that you're, that, like your go-to tunes for beginners? My beginner repertoire, it sort of varies. So it depends on... Uh, how interested in Irish music my students are. Some of them are not at all. Some of them come to me just to learn how to play the harp. And for them, I will usually do the Suzuki book. I've only just recently started using the Suzuki book, but it's amazing how many skills they can develop out of just that first book, hmm. especially with the left hand. Wow, It's kind of amazing the progress that they make with that structure. Uh, but then for if... They're here for Irish music if they're part of St. Louis Irish Arts. Uh, Eleanor Plunkett is definitely an early one. Brian Brew's March, just because I feel like it's a requirement to play that. <laughs> right. uh, and lots of, there's a lot of uh, good polkas and slides mm. that uh, lay really nicely on the harp. And the polkas are fun because they're easier to get up to tempo too. Exactly, exactly. When you're picking out tunes, do you sometimes get your inspiration from like a a fiddle tune like a and then you kind of try to get that sound of the fiddle onto the harp or a concertina like if you hear a concertina playing a tune yes uh in st louis we are very we're a rich fiddle town hmm. there are so many really really good fiddle players everywhere um so i have definitely started to well even my my brother, who's a fiddle player, very nice fiddle player, he was sort of the first one who started making me figure out how to do accompaniment on the harp. And he he didn't play an accompaniment instrument, but he was hearing what he wanted to hear in his head. Hmm. And he would just sort of like sing it to me and have me figure it out. Uh, so I think I've been kind of thinking like a fiddle player almost the entire time I've been playing music. And then I have dabbled in the concertina myself uh, for a number of years, I haven't had the time to really dedicate enough time to it. But just understanding how the other instruments work, I think, is really important when you're playing the harp with other people. Sure, yeah, definitely. It'll just inform your choices. Like trying to emulate the the sounds of the the fiddle or the concertina on the harp. I mean, that's where you get a lot of those, like, the trebles and, and things like that, right? Another effects that you can do exactly uh and a huge inspiration for me also is uh the playing of Michal O'Reilly he's definitely the best if not one of the best concertina players alive today hmm. and his rhythmic approach to tunes like he sounds like he's accompanying himself wow. the entire time wow because he's doing such amazing complicated things uh but I've definitely tried to replicate his rhythm in my playing. I, I would say he's probably one of my biggest rhythmic influences. Oh, that's awesome. 
yeah, I, I, I think it is great to like have the experience with the other instruments also, just like you were saying, just so you can understand how they're playing certain notes and, you know, listening to other players, you know, like guitarists who listen to pipe tune and try to translate that to the guitar or with the, the concertina when you're playing the, the grace notes and stuff on the concertina, playing the double stop on the concertina and then <laughs> trying to emulate that on the harp. It creates like some really cool different sounds, you know? Well, you know. So <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, so... So competing, you've been competing in Irish music since you were, what, like 10 or so? Or or how old were you when you first started? Yeah, I suppose I was probably around 10 when I started. In dancing? Uh, yeah, we would go to Chicago once a year for uh, the year. Oh, in dancing as well, yeah. Well, I stopped competing in dancing when I was about 16 because <laughs> that whole scene started getting very strange. Was it the hair? I, I, I wasn't willing to uh, <laughs> to start wearing wigs mm. in order to dance. That wasn't uh, that wasn't something I signed up for. Yeah. So, but I still love dancing. I don't do it as much anymore. I don't really have the opportunity to do it mm. anymore. Maybe sometimes in the summer we have a visiting dance teacher. I'll I'll come in with the kids and try to learn a few steps just to see if I can. That's cool. And and do you ever like do like little dances or dance steps with your harp students so they can, if they're having problems with a rhythm or feeling, you know, um, any of the dance tunes at all? Yes, definitely. Um, well, I lately, because I've had to sort of rethink what is possible over Zoom mm. uh, for our group classes, I've been trying to teach the little ones how to identify what kind of tune they're listening to. Hmm. And fortunately, because they all know how to dance, I'm like, which step would fit with this tune? That's how you figure out what kind of tune it is. Huh. Uh, and they're like, oh, well, that's easy. Hmm. And so that is one huge advantage of having at least a rudimentary knowledge of the dancing, just like having a rudimentary knowledge of other instruments. Right, right. The more you know about the whole culture, the more it makes sense, which I guess is St. Louis Irish Arts's motto. The motto is to like pass it on to generation, from generation to generation. Exactly. Your mom was named the top 100 Irish Americans by Irish American Magazine and awards for the North American Fesh Commission. You played at the Library of Congress. Just incredible. That is all thanks to my mother's persistence and dedication and energy, which knows no bounds. Mm. She's turning 80 in August, and she's still not out of energy. She <laughs> said something to me the other day. We were, I just went over for a cup of tea, and she said, you know what, Eileen? It's a man's world. And I said, I know, Mom. I said, did you just figure that out? And she said, yeah, I, I didn't really pay any attention to anyone, any men trying to tell me what to do. I just did what I wanted. And I'm just now realizing it. And I thought it was the funniest thing. <laughs> she sounds amazing. But I guess it is possible to just ignore everyone and <laughs> do what you need to do. True. Yeah. I, I mean, it, and your center is like growing and growing. How many students do you, do you have like in, in the program? We have probably about a hundred at any given time. Mm. So we've, we've got them split into three age groups. We have the teeny, tiny, tiny babies that are 
between four and seven years old. So we have a whole class just for them. Mm. And that is my mom's forte. It is not my forte. Uh, She knows how to comfort them when they're mom drives away and they lose their minds. Uh, I I don't have those mothering skills that she has. So she's great to have helping with the little ones. Mm. And then we have uh, seven to 12 year olds and then 12 to 18. And then, and then we have adult classes as well. Wow. So pretty pretty full house most of the time. And then you have your, the competitions that you've been doing. Like you said you you started when you were around 10 in competition. Can you explain how those competitions work um, for people that aren't really familiar with it? Yes. So if you're not familiar with the Irish competition world, uh, there are Feshanna, which are predominantly Irish dancing competitions, but we run one in St. Louis that has an entire separate day just for music. We kind of use that as a sort of practice competition for the All-Ireland qualifying competition, which is every spring. Mm. That one, there's one in the East Coast and one in the Midwest, and they just sort of move around to different cities in the Midwest, which is also great because the kids get to meet other musicians from other cities and you know, until they go to one of those, they think that they're doing something that is only happening in St. Louis for them. They don't realize that it's a worldwide phenomena. So it is really important for them to kind of get out and see other people doing it elsewhere. Mm. And we do prepare uh, ensembles, group kills and Kaylee bands and duets and trios and uh, accompaniment competitions, as well as solos for all of those. Uh, so they get a really broad experience and you know the ones who enjoy playing solo figure out if they enjoy it or not when they're in the hot seat in a competition Mm. and then some of them don't enjoy playing solo and they have a great time in the bands yeah competitions are so stressful they're awful really yeah (laughs) but they do give you something to work for true true no more than you know a, a performance right oh definitely or it's just as stressful as when you're in music school and then you have your end of quarter adjudications in front of all your professors, you know, or something like that. It still is nerve wracking, but I think it kind of, it, I think it pushes you further than you probably think you can go. Exactly. You need something like that, I think, to, to get you that little bit farther. Mm. You have to prepare for it. You have to, there's so many unknowns but you can only control what you can control, like practicing, making sure you're in tune, you know, making sure that you're working on your technique and your memorization and, and all. And then you've got whatever you can control. Things are always going to go kerblooey, <laughs> like around you, like someone sneezing in the middle of your song or someone's phone accidentally going off or something. But you got to keep going and concentrate on your training. Exactly. That's that's another thing that I try to instill in my students is keep going at all costs. Mm. Like you, you got on the school bus and it's not stopping until you get to school. So just stay going, no matter what happens along the way, it might be a period of silence or a period of wrong notes, but just not stopping, I think is a really important skill to develop because our, our human instinct is to go back and fix mm-hmm. our mistakes, but it doesn't un- actually undo the mistake. So there is no point in going back and fixing it. You're better off just not really acknowledging it right. and just try to keep the rhythm going at least because at least in Irish music, the rhythm is the most important thing anyway. Mm. So just not breaking up the 
the groove that you've established, I think is a really important thing to push yourself to do. And competitions and performances are a good way to do that. Sometimes people won't even notice if you made a mistake. If you, like you said, if you just keep going. Exactly. Cause when I was little, I used to, you know, throw my hands up in the air or I'd like <laughs> slap the strings <laughs> or make a face. I want to talk to you about the bands that you're playing in and the projects that you have coming up. I have just released an album uh, with my partner, Robert Ryan. He's a fiddle player uh, originally from London, but now living in St. Louis. And we had started this project before quarantine set in. Uh, So this is the first track off the album Down the Rocky Road with fiddle player Robert Ryan. Uh, It's three marches. Uh, The first one is officially a march. The second one is actually a 9-8 march that was in Petri as a slip jig. And the last one is a jig called the cauliflower jig. And I said, well, we have to learn that one because I'm a vegetarian and I love cauliflower. So there's no way I'm not going to be playing the cauliflower jig. Uh, So enjoy.
And it ended up taking every bit of quarantine to finish mm. because of all our, our recording engineer got COVID. So we had to take a little break from that. Robert cut his finger Ooh. Uh, kind of badly. So we had to stop recording while that healed. But it ended up sort of evolving quite a bit over the two years that we were working on it because it was originally going to be much more like a typical Irish music album. Mm. Uh, with, you know, plenty of jigs and reels and things. Uh, but it just so happened that we were digging around in the Petri collection, just sort of flipping random pages, looking at tune titles or keys or rhythms just to see what sounded interesting and found so many that seemed to fit together in a really interesting way that we ended up building these sort of strange sets of very old marches and mostly things that, have not been recorded before. So we're very excited about it. Oh, awesome. And I definitely developed a lot of ideas about the approach I took to them. Uh, because they were marches, I didn't think they wanted to be busy. I, and because they were so ancient as well, uh, some of them are from the 1700s, just sort of letting the harp really ring. So the, the accompaniment is extremely sparse on a lot of them, but it's intentionally sparse. Mm. Because the we we found all these interesting things happening when we recorded, you know, we'd stop and you don't stop the strings when you're recording on the harp. You just let it ring and then let the recording engineer kind of 
taper it off himself post post recording. Okay. Um, and all these ghost notes were appearing. It was almost like you could see them hovering in between us notes that I had not played, but notes that the harp was turning into. Cool. It, there was a lot of interesting sound discoveries. So we tried to kind of amp those up as much as we could. So I think it's sort of a kind of a trippy mm. album. So it, it's almost like has a feel of like a, a wire strung harp with the ringing and the, that's how like a lot of wire strung harpists like approach accompaniment is they you know, they let the, they let the harp play the accompaniment, like not as much as they're, they're playing the accompaniment because sometimes the overtones will just like pick up. Yeah. You said it even better than I could. That's exactly right. Wow. Sometimes I get things right. And I was really inspired by, uh, there's an album. <laughs> no, you're great. Maureen. Oh, uh, there's an album that, that I don't think is nearly as popular as it should be uh, by Ivan Goff. He's a piper and he did an album with Renee Luprecht. She's a pipe organist. And I think they recorded it in St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York, but they let the cathedral sort of dictate the rhythm and the interplay between them. And it is amazing to wow. listen to. Cool. It, it's not like anything I've ever heard before. Wow. So that, that was sort of my goal was to make something cool as that. Um, I know Dominique Dodge with her last album, like she was, she didn't want to be in the recording studio because she wanted, she wanted it to be in one of the meeting halls in Nova Scotia to get the sound of the wood and the people and the stomping on the floors and, you know, not as like clean of a sound that you get in the studio. But, and it sounds like what you were doing is like, you wanted to give it like a different feel too. Like you, you wanted like more of a magical sound to these ancient tunes. Exactly. That, that was the goal. And yeah, I agree with Dominique that the, the more real it sounds, the better. Mm. If there's, there's a little bit of foot tapping, I think great. And the natural sound actually with my solo album, I recorded the solo album with the same guy that I recorded uh, the album with Robert and leading up to my solo album, Kevin nearly had my heart broken. We spent about two months going all around town to different rooms. And in each room, we were putting the microphones in different places. And honestly, we spent two months just messing around with the sound hmm. before I ever recorded an actual tune. And I was, I was like, Kevin, I'm running out of steam here. Hmm. I want to get this album done. But in the end, it was all worth it because it, I'm so happy with the sound. I, I think he's a genius. Yeah, no, that album is terrific. It, that album is The Glory it, Days I, I Are Over. That's right. <laughs> I just want people to buy it because it's such a great album. It's maybe a regrettable title, but <laughs> it's it's still funny to me. <laughs> That's a gorgeous album. I was in Cincinnati, actually, at one of those competitions, one of the Flacules, uh, and I was sharing a room with my buddy Kelly. She's a accordion and concertina player, and I was asleep. And I had a bad back and I think I'd taken some, you know, knock you out drugs to try to make it through the night with my back pain. Mm. And she said in the middle of the night, I just said, well, the glory days are over. <laughs> and she told me the next morning. <laughs> and Great. then my sister-in-law said, you should name your album that. And I said, okay, <laughs> that's fine. But it was also at a strange political time as well so i i found it fitting yes yeah there's a, a more 
I guess, more traditional set of traditional tunes on that album um, that people recognize a, a, a lot more of those. But I love that your new album is is going to give people a chance to hear all these tunes that haven't been heard in a long time. So when is this album coming out? It is called Down the Rocky Road and it is out. So we released it digitally on St. Patrick's Day. And where is that on, on, on your website or on Bandcamp or... Uh, on Bandcamp. Okay. Robert has been dealing with all of the, the Bandcamp stuff, so you'd have to go to his Bandcamp page. Okay, so we'll go to Robert Ryan Fiddle on Bandcamp. You've played on so many amazing albums. I mean, and you've even played with the new pornographers. How did that happen? That was a real treat for me. Uh, so... An old high school buddy of mine who lives in New York City uh, and has a recording studio there, he was doing the new Pornographers album, and he just sort of overheard one of the band members say, oh, wouldn't it be cool to have Harp on this? And he said, let me make a phone call right now. (laughs) And he called me, and he said, do you want to do this? And I said, absolutely. Do I have to get my Harp to New York? And he said, no, you can just record it there and... Dropbox it to us. I hadn't even heard of Dropbox at the time. Mm. I didn't know that was possible. So Kevin, again, my my recording expert, uh, he recorded it and we sent it over. And then I think it was in, they used the song that I played on in a Jennifer Aniston movie. Oh. And I was watching that on Netflix randomly. And I was like, oh, that's me. That's so cool. <laughs> that's great. Uh, and then when they, when they came to St. Louis, I said, any chance you want to have the harp part played live and at your St. Louis show? And they said, yeah, that'd be great. So I played with them at a venue called the pageant here in St. Louis. And it was really fun. And oh. at the time I thought maybe, maybe I'll be a rock and roll harpist. Hmm. Maybe I'll just play with all these cool bands, but it didn't end up turning out that way, but I, it was very fun to be a part of it. That was really actually cool. meet them in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. You know, you have an album with your brother that it's harmonica and harp. So harp and harp. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. Oh, no, that was dad, with your dad. Actually. I'm sorry. Yeah, that, that was so sweet that you recorded that with your dad. Yeah, and he was saying the other day, my dad is 90, and he wants to he wants to put out a new cover for the album. <laughs> oh, cool. He, he's like, I'm not very happy with the cover. I think we should do a new cover. <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> is, is that album still available? Um, I don't think that one has ever been available digitally, and I think it's actually sold out of hard copies, but I think there are definitely plans to get it out there in a more accessible way. Nice. That's so cool. I, I guess the only thing we really didn't, like, talk about that much was how we met, like, at the University of Limerick, uh, the Irish World Academy of Music and Dance, and we were both studying ethnomusicology. And I definitely want to thank you for starting me on my harp journey. Um, it it really has taken me to places and let me meet people from around the world that I never would have been able to without your help. So thank you for that. Well, I'm very honored to have played that role in your life. It was a great year, wasn't it? It was an awesome year. But how, how did you end up studying at UL, studying ethnomusicology? After I graduated from undergrad, I I was just sort of, you know, bobbing along, teaching harp lessons and living in my apartment. And my harp teacher, uh, my Irish harp teacher, who I studied with uh, most summers as a teenager, Tracy Fleming, 
she, I think UL had only just been doing this for a couple of years at this point. Uh, she said, they're doing this ethnomusicology degree. It's only a year. Why don't you do it? That sounds pretty fun and interesting and, you know, a little bit of credibility might come from it. So mm. I said, yeah, I'll do that. I know what to expect. I'd never even thought about ethnomusicology before then. Uh, but I'm so glad I did. Mm. Like you said, you met so many people. It's a great environment to be in. Definitely. That. Yeah, that's probably where I got most into uh, my session playing was that year uh, at Nancy Blake's with mm. Tony and Darren and Matt. We had a, we had a ball just playing every night in one pub or another, and they seemed to not be averse to the harp joining in. So it, it was nice to feel comfortable with such amazing musicians mm. and be able to explore and develop my style and everything. Absolutely. And I keep, it's so funny because the people that were in our class or in the um, traditional Irish music class, I see them like all over the place, like in, not in person, but I mean, in the recording and online and people are like, do you know so-and-so? And I'm like, how do you know these people like that, that I went to school? <laughs> you know, it's so many um, of our classmates really <laughs> went on to like stay with music and do some amazing things. Yeah. So wonderful. Having that year to just focus and you yourself have gone on to do amazing things. Oh, I, I certainly didn't know when we were hanging out then that you were going to become such a fine harp player yourself. Oh, that's nice of you to say <laughs> coming from you. That's that's awesome for you to say. Thank you. I just love it. You know, I mean, being a pianist, especially in the New York City area is like, you know, being a tree. <laughs> you know, like there's you can throw a rock at it and you'll find one. I bet. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, saying the harp, it just kind of it lets me indoors that um might not have been open and and I've I've used the harp in in like my theater directing too so you know if I need some music for the background or or whatever I'll you know record some stuff or I can multi-track with the harp and the piano and you know the bass or you know the cello and and then I can cool. kind of come up with stuff so this podcast is a way that I can reach out to people and one of my goals is to like get people to like introduce people to musicians that they haven't heard before and go out and buy their music and support them, you know, take classes, you know, I'd love for people to take classes with you and buy your music. And, and maybe people didn't even know about the St. Louis, you know, Irish arts center and how incredible it is and what an influence it's had on so many musicians. In addition to all the, uh, you know, your music skills and teaching and performing and recording, you somehow find time to do um, your workout at home with Eileen. So if you could tell people a little bit more about that, that'd be great. Yes. So I have been teaching uh, group fitness classes since undergrad, where I sort of fell in backwards into that career as well. When my teacher broke her ankle and she said, you have to teach for me. And I said, I don't know what I'm doing. She said, it doesn't matter. Somebody has to teach it. And so I just started teaching group fitness hmm. and I got kind of into it. And then I got certified. And then even when I was at UL with you, uh, I sort of got a job teaching in the gym there hmm. on the side. I think I was making, you know, 
$3 a class or something. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I just love it. And I find it is very good for my mental health in particular. It sort of keeps me, keeps me calm if I just break a little sweat every day. Mm. And I just love doing it with other people. I don't really like working out by myself. I'm not someone who just goes to the gym and hops on a treadmill that that's of no interest to me whatsoever. Mm. I like doing kind of choreographed and music based workouts. So the, the workouts are very intertwined with the music for me. Uh, I, I find it is much more motivating if you're actually doing something on a beat. Mm. So I've been doing that online myself since the gyms shut down. Sometimes I have musician friends from Ireland join in in class and that's fun. That's mm. something I couldn't have had before, but probably I'll go back to the YMCA. Once most people are vaccinated, I'll probably just go back to doing it in person at the gym. But for now, if you are interested in joining my workouts, uh, just go to Facebook and find workout at home with Eileen. Awesome. And you do everything from yoga to low intensity, high intensity, or Pilates. Yeah. High intensity, low intensity, kickboxing, step aerobics, mm. uh, bar, and, you know, just regular strength workouts. There's something for everybody. Thank you for being with me here today. Where can people find you, buy your music, and uh, take lessons with you online and, and all? Uh, so you can buy my solo album on my Bandcamp page, which is just Eileen Gannon's Bandcamp page. Uh, you can email me at EileenGannon at gmail.com if you would like a lesson. Um, you can read all about St. Louis Irish Arts at slia.org. You can find the duo album with Robert on Robert Ryan's Bandcamp page. And I believe you can order a hard copy through there as well. And we can mail you one. Excellent. Thanks for listening to Moon Over the Trees Music and Theater Productions podcast. Dive into the show notes at moonoverthetrees.com. And if you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast. 